0: Jammin' and Jammies, my name is Megan Barker. If you don't know what Jammin' and Jammies is, it's a live show that happens here in Nashville. We feature hit songwriters and rising artists in pajamas. It's a real hoop. Right now we're doing everything via live stream on Sunday nights at eight o'clock, so make sure that you tune into that. And while we're all sitting at home in our pajamas a little more, we thought it would be fun to sit down with some of our favorite songwriters and pick their brains. Today, we have Mr. Mark Narmore. I am so excited. I'm such a fan. Mark is a Grammy and Dove Award nominated songwriter, and he is an Alabama boy through and through. He grew up not far from Muscle Shoals. He's got cuts by artists like Josh Turner, Randy Clark, Reba Shenandoah, and you might remember maybe his most notable hit. That's what I love about Sunday. Mark, how are you doing?
1: Just really good on a Monday morning, just blessed, and uh, man, the weather's looking really pretty, and it seems like the vibe of of everybody is lightening up little by little. I mean, we're we're all getting a few more smiles as we go along, right?
0: I think the shock is wearing off. Everyone's kind of coming to a little bit. It's been crazy.
1: You're right. It's good to to smile a little bit more and to see that. It's exciting to see people getting a little bit more um, you know, uh, like I say, just a smile, just having fun a little bit.
0: Yeah, yeah. And we can get back to thinking about music a little more, too. I know that the first couple of weeks, I, I didn't really know how to process anything. I couldn't write a song. and I'm feeling much better now. So I'm excited to talk to you about your process and, and all of that. So do you want to just start by telling us how you got into music and maybe who your influences
2: were?
1: I will definitely do that. Well, you, you know me. We, we've done shows together, and uh, I will talk the horns off a of billy goat. <laughs> no, I, I'm glad. <laughs> Have you ever heard that before? Talk the horns off a of billy goat?
0: No, that's the first time, actually.
1: But, well, good. You've got a new one you can use.
0: I'm going to. Thank you.
1: But, you know, when I was about five or six years old, my mom had a piano uh, stored at our home. From like an aunt who was remodeling and I really you know I had sang a little bit when I was a very little but you know just like any kid would do when that piano got in there I sort of gravitated toward it and started picking songs out by ear simple songs I mean I wasn't playing Chopin or Mozart but uh, enough she she saw enough in that to to thought man well he he sort of has an affinity or a predilection for you know musicality so she when it came time for that piano to go back to my aunt's my mom said hey can we just leave that big you don't want to tote that big old heavy piano back on a truck you got to get five guys to load it we'll just buy it from you because Mark is playing it so that that was the first uh my mom i have her to thank for just about everything my parents in my life but she realized that kept that piano there you know megan it took me i would say i was an only child or am an only child so i had plenty of time to practice on my own now i did have peripheral friends but i had plenty of a alone time so I would say it took me five or ten years of just sitting there learning on my own, figuring out, it's like Rosetta Stone moments, like, aha, I figured out, you know, there was a one, four, and five chord in every key. Now, first, I figured out there were different keys, like there was the key of A flat, there was the key of G, nobody told me that, I sort of figured that out, and and then I figured out, well, there's a one one, four, five, and every key. And I figured out how to play them. You know, on the piano there, they're all played differently. So in the midst of all that, my mom tried to give me piano lessons. And that, that really, the teachers were really sweet, but it didn't work because I'd already learned how to mimic and play by ear enough. When they would play a simple song, I would sort of pretend to read, read the music and, and play it by ear because that's just what a uh, eight-year-old kid's going to do, you know. And they would figure it out. They would bust me, and they would like, oh, Miss Normore, we can't take your money anymore. He, is, he's not, he doesn't know how to read music at all. And I never learned to read music. And it's been a blessing um, to be able to play it by ear. Also, I had a cousin, you know, we live in Center Star. I'm still here in the very town I grew up in, which is about 30 minutes from Muscle Shoals proper, Megan. And when I was like six, seven years old, my cousin, Spooner Oldham, he was helping get Muscle Show, the Muscle Shoals music industry up and running. He was playing piano on Aretha Franklin, Wilson Pickett. Wow. Mustang Sally, so I sort of had the rumblings of that. My mom had a couple of those records, and I'm thinking, well, there is my cousin Spooner. His name is on the record as a writer, and he's also a perform- a player. So she said, yeah, the, the Muscle Shoals music industry, she explained it. It was sort of a funky little offshoot thing that happened was happening. So I really got interested and in, in really enamored with Spooner, his playing and everything I could learn about Muscle Shoals to this day is like, um, it's a part of my core and my soul. Within Muscle Shoals, it's so many influences. There's country, there's blues, there's jazz, there's gospel. So it's not really one, one kind, of, kind of thing. It's kind of a, a melting pot, but it is kind of funky and bluesy overall. So that, that's how I got my start. Six or seven years old playing piano, getting it together for about 10 years, learning my chords. About age 15, I got with some old rock and roll boys on my mama's carport. We started playing southern rock, and boy, did I like that because you know, um, everybody was getting into it. They're like, and people would cheer and like, wow, this is pretty cool rock star, uh, you know. So, still. Songwriting had crept in there also. About age ten, I had written a couple of songs. So, to me, the music business is what I wanted to do, and it was sort of a conglomeration of everything. I I would have been happy to have been a sound engineer, piano player, a songwriter, a singer, an artist—any of it, even just one thing, a a whatever, you know. So, I was just enamored Um, in the band. I wrote a few songs. We all wrote songs in that rock band. And looking back, man, there were some pretty, uh, pretty wild rock songs there.
0: <laughs> I bet. Well, when did you discover Nashville? How did all of that come to be?
1: That that came to be after college, or I'm sorry, after high school, right at the front end of college. I started working at a little country radio station in Lexington, Alabama, called WLX. And I was familiar a little bit with country music, but not not so much. Just for my dad playing Carter family. He played the old, old country. I mean, like Carter family, Tennessee, Ernie Ford, um, some of the, you know, Webb Pierce. I knew those people, like Hank Williams. I just didn't know the ones like maybe from the 70s so and 60s maybe. So I was playing this country music, sucking it up like a sponge at this little radio station. I'm learning, oh, wow. George, you know, George Jones and Merle Haggard. And I want to say songwriters I was hearing were like Matresa Byrd, Paul Overstreet, um, mm-hmm. Tom Schuyler. And I was so... Um, inspired because the songs I didn't realize that the songs were so brilliant and you know that they still are Nashville is a lyric town pretty much it's always been the lyrics help to a high gold standard and I just got into that after uh, high school and into college and I thought man I love how these lyrical twists work I was that's what sold me I was totally into country music uh, the way you could twist a phrase maybe twice, three times, you know, four times. One phrase can work four different ways, and I'm, I'm like, I'm in. I've got to figure out, crack the code. So I studied every clever hook. Now, I don't care if people say don't write clever. I always like clever hooks, and that Thank is what you. brought brought me to the game. I will stick a twisted uh lion twisted lines and songs that is just my calling card that's what i love so I'm, I'm gonna keep doing that forever so i was like on a high you know you get a find a title that twists around and it really works and you're going oh my goodness i have found gold i have found little nugget and with and you know you're a great songwriter with that little nugget it pretty much, uh, you can write the song. It's, it, it has a possibility. It's like a matrix, like a plan. From that seed, it can sprout, you know, it can be done. You think, wow, yeah, I can do this. I can write a hit song or I can write a, in a variety of ways. That To me, that was the thing at first of learning. Um, I would try every way, you know. I would try 10 ways to write that that title when I was younger, you know, had plenty of time, Yeah, (laughs) but Nashville um, definitely was the, I said, Rosetta Rosetta Stone moment. When I saw those songs being written so well, the lyrics so well, you, you, I couldn't turn around, you know, I could not look away from that. That drew me in like a tractor beam. You know, you hear about these alien tractor beams that draw people up. I was in the tractor beam of Nashville songwriting.
0: You were abducted, you're saying?
1: Yes, I think I <laughs>
0: am Well, Nashville abducts a lot of people. It did the same thing to me. Uh, I'm the same way, I just, I love a good hook. I don't care if it's out of style or whatever, I love it. Amen. Um, is there anything you wish you knew when you first got to Nashville, music business-wise or music-wise, anything?
1: Probably so. Yeah, being, like I say, the only child and sort of an artist temperament, you wouldn't think so because I present as sort of a guy that would talk the horns off of Billy Goat. Right? <laughs> but I, you know, left to my own devices. Uh, I can be, you know, an introvert sometimes and uh, prefer kind of, you know, if I'm writing, I'll, uh, a lot of times in Nashville, we would write the song. And I would go home and hold up for a week or two and just spend time with that song and doctor it, love it, give it some tender, loving care. And I would come back and people would say, Oh man, you're, you're like a song doctor. You, you took it and you cured this little part. We didn't even know was wrong. And you, it just, it just takes time. It just takes a little tender, loving care. So, um, but I wish I had known networking and, and I networked plenty you know, because I was with some good publishers. I wish I had known if I had done like a hundred times more networking all across the board, writing, going out, meeting people, being more um, social at the time. I think it would have helped. I think it would have exponentially bolstered how many say songs I had gotten cut. I really do believe that. I wish I had known that networking is up like on the top, one, two, or three of things I should have, what I'm saying, super networking. I was networking, but you really have to do super networking over and above what you think. If you think you're doing it enough, you need to probably do about 10 or 20 times more. That's what I, I feel.
0: Yeah, I don't think you can overdo the networking. I've learned that too. It's, it seems like it's something you just, you can't do enough of no matter, no matter what. <laughs> but, uh, what is one of the most special moments of your career so far? I know it's probably hard to pick, but one of them.
1: Well, one would have to be the day the moon over Georgia got cut. And that was here in my hometown, Muscle Shoals, Fame recording studios, my buddies, Shenandoah, cut it. You know, I knew those guys, they were, they were here, they were in house and I sort of targeted them with, with the song. It was a clever song. It was one of those clever hooks, the most clever I'd ever heard. And it took me six months of, to write it. I had a stack, Megan, of legal pads about this high on the one song. and I would, you know, ride a whole day and I would trash that. You know, I hate that. After six months, I thought I moved over to Georgia to a point where I thought it, it's really good. It's about 96% there. And Shenandoah liked it. And course recorded it but
2: the more I wrote
1: on that song at first I wanted I had a little bit of convolution and kind of uh, complexity going in the storyline maybe a little too much because I wanted it to spawn off and play off of the, you know this meaning and this the more I worked on that song and chiseled on it this and then and um, the simpler it became it became more universal more just so simple And that was an eye-opening moment for me. And also, musically, uh, I I chopped down my lines as I went along. You know, uh, I've always been pretty wordy and and musical. I like to stick a lot of Bob Dylan kind of lyrics. Man, it was getting really succinct, and brevity came into play, the briefness of, of some of the lines. So I learned that. But... The special moment was I was working at the radio station. I was really one of the only employees making. I was the only guy on the air. It's a small station. I mean, tiny, tiny. We had one salesperson and they were out and about. So Rick Hall, my publisher and producer of Shenandoah, calls me on a day in like November of 1989 and says, Hey, buddy, we're unbeknownst to me, I knew they were in the studio rehearsing and what have you, and doing this and that. Shenandoah was at Fame and Muscle Shoals, 40 minutes from Lexington. Rick says, you you need to get over here. We're about to cut Moon Over Georgia. And of course, I flew up on the ceiling, but I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm the only employee. I have no relief or nobody to call. I think the boss was in Atlanta that week. The salesperson was out. They didn't know how to run the radio station. I thought, "What what do I do? I called my mama we're talking about they will bail their babies out. My mama came and I showed her how to cue records and how to play the commercial. She didn't have to speak on it. And she held it down for about four hours that day. We locked the door. I said, don't let anybody in. We'll pull the curtains. Nobody will know, you know, they can bang on the door. Don't let them in. You just sit here and play records. I went over there and heard Shenandoah record my song, and that is one of the most special. I think I could have quit. I would never have quit, but I was thinking I could have quit. Happy Man, because I sat there and I heard one of my songs, and it was on Columbia Records, you know, on CBS. It was on a major label, major artist, and Mm -hmm. major studio, and I was the... My, that little dog was having his day, I was, so that's a special mm-hmm. moment. And coffee's pretty special, too. I'm sorry, I had to take a little swig of coffee there.
0: No, no, you know, that's such an interesting story. It just goes to show you can always count on mama, first of all.
1: <laughs> always. They're going to bail their babies out, no matter what.
0: No matter what. Do you want to play something for us?
1: By nineteen ninety one, it was a top five record.
2: He owns the biggest state. Georgia to his name, she'd be set for life, His colonial man, laid the world at her feet on it, still the path, but all I had to offer her was the moon. The moon, Georgia. Rather have a million stars in the sky than a gold. When it came down to his world, or mine she took the look over Joe. Oh, little country house, need of expansion. It's a far cry from. South Georgia Mansion We got our own
0: A treat. Um, can you take us inside your songwriting process? You touched on it a little bit with your attention to detail with the tablets. <laughs> um, yeah. How do you know when a song is done?
1: That's a good, really good question. I think we all uh, go through that, all of us songwriters, all through our lives. You know, I don't know if they're ever, ever done because I've even heard songs on the radio, maybe that i've written i'm thinking well i could have probably shifted that line I, I think i think we just have to find a good i do i think i have to find a good stopping point maybe where i think okay we're 97 percent great good 98 95 maybe somewhere up in, in that percentile where it will pass through all the hoops but i think i could still take some of these songs and Maybe that's just my analytical uh, part of me and keep tweaking on them, you know, yeah. forever. I don't know if they're, I don't know if mine are ever done, but uh, I think close to done. We'll call it done. You know, if it's like 99% or 98, I'll go ahead and call it done and maybe we'll fool. <laughs> I'm thinking, you know, whoop, we fooled them again. We fooled everybody again. <laughs> we, we that one through. For-
0: well, I guess I guess you have to just trust your gut at a certain point.
1: You're exactly. Just trust your gut. You'll know, you know, what uh, percent you're gonna let that baby fly fly out of there. Yeah. And just when
0: when you're ready breathe. to go. Do you do right. you still write? Do you still write by yourself, or do you prefer co-writing?
1: Yeah, you know I do both. Uh, it's a uh, the introversion factor, it goes all the way back to my only child. I do enjoy writing by myself because, and you, you probably do too. I think we talked about that before. You like to do both. Um, when you write by yourself, it's unequivocally you write it your way. And that's sort of your soul, your artistry. And no, nothing else enters into that. It's all you. I, I like that. I like that's fun. But also, I love the camaraderie. and I won't say competition, but the volleying, where you get the ball going and where the wordplay and the thing starts spinning. It's spinning really fast, and a co-write sometimes. I like that, too. So it's two different animals with me. I like both of them, and I've written really what I think are really some of my best songs on both sides of that uh, mountain there i've written songs that i'm really close to by myself and i've written songs with other people uh which i feel the same way about so it's kind of songwriting and being an artist in the music business it's just it's just a big old um everything is good and fun about fun about it isn't it it's fun
0: Oh yeah, it's such a blessing to write a song every day, I think I really do. A lot of our followers are new songwriters, and I was just gonna see what is it that you look for in a co-writer and do you have tips on how to be prepared for a co-write
1: that's That's a really good one and i've I've always sort of been a researcher um, even before the internet came along um, <laughs> back before the internet. You'd say, you know, the publisher said, We're gonna set you up with this new artist. I'm like, Well, okay, um, could you tell me, give me some like recon, reconnaissance type info? Yeah. Yeah, we can get you a cassette.
2: <laughs> and then I'm
1: like, okay, what yeah, cassette. So I would say, okay, I get what they do. All right, what do they look like? What well, what's their you know, there was no YouTube videos or any kind of thing. So they, they would just like compare, well, it's it's kind of like uh, Mick Jagger meets Merle Haggard or something, you know, that, and the personality is kind of like, you know, like a wild rock and roll guy or something. So I would always like to do my research and have 10, 12 titles, and I still do that. I think we all try to prepare uh, titles geared to what I think could uh, canonize or, or Immortalize that artist could say what I think they're wanting to say. Uh, could be a, you know, something that would be like one of their top 10 records. I mean, I want to go for the jugular. I want that research to zoom in there and target. You kind of have to, to, to hit, try to hit that target right in the middle bullseye, but that, that's what I did um, early on. And I would, I would tell people, um, you know, to, to, to do that research, like like you said, learn. You can so easily learn with YouTube and all the videos, and especially bios, you can get on there and say, yeah, well, they, they like uh, sushi and tractors, you know, or mm-hmm. something. Boy, they're really into some sushi. I see them with pictures about this, and they're, they're dri- driving tractors, and they've got a uh, uh, shaved head on one side. So I, I, know, I know what I'm getting.
0: Absolutely. I think that's brilliant advice. Sushi eating tractor lovers. I love it. Um, (laughs) it's a song. It's a song. I can hear it. After having so much success yourself, do you still set goals for yourself? Do you have like things that you want to achieve still?
1: Oh my goodness. Yes. And it's always, it's to score again. Um, like with the, um, the 90s i had a pretty good run in the 2000s but some of those songs were um they're different than they are now, and I and i enjoyed learning i always like to always been very musical and eclectic so i'm i'm pretty easy if, if i somebody will show me or i can learn i can can assimilate and i've been able to cruise really well through like the pop country and i, I like it but, um, Tell me the question again. My brain went off track. What was the question?
0: Oh, just if you still set goals for yourself.
1: Oh, it, exactly. Uh, duh. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm like, man, I got off. You okay. nailed it. it it's to score. It, the the it's to score again to have another hit to have a big cut on one of the the young current uh, artists that are they're rocking out there right now. Um, it's a little harder than it was back in the day when I was. Get, getting a few more cuts in the two thousands, and the you know uh, twenty early twenty tens, it's a little bit harder um, going forward. Maybe it is for everybody. It seems like the camps are a little more have more closure, and the external, all the extrinsic song pluggers, they still get through, but it's just not as often. So I'm having to try harder, trying to figure out different ways to. Um, get into those camps, and, and just, uh, that's where the super networking, I think, comes in. You have to, to be on your toes with with all that, right?
0: Yeah. I actually, when I was talking with somebody the other day on an interview, they were saying they heard rumors that the camp thing is going to break up a little bit and open back up a little. Um, so I hope so. I hope there's a little more room for everybody. I think that would be nice. Okay
2: that
1: would be and things always change and you're right and i think that would be heavenly if it did open up and there were more opportunities for a whole because there's so much so many great songwriters across the world but in the locus of nashville tennessee the and musicians and songwriters producers the talent level it's on un, uh, it's unmatched and it probably always will be
0: i agree i think The best of the best flock to Nashville, so it's going to be a saturated market no matter what, but that's a good problem to have, really. There's just so much talent. That's good. (laughs) All right.
1: Yes, indeed.
0: Um, I have a few random quarantine questions for you, just to lighten things up.
2: Yeah, sure.
0: All right, since it's pajamas, we're thinking breakfast foods. I was wondering if you prefer pancakes or French toast.
1: Uh, Definitely pancakes, man, pancakes, big stack.
0: And you are a Southern boy, so do you prefer breakfast for breakfast or breakfast for dinner?
1: You know, Southern boy, but I I like that breakfast for breakfast, you know. Uh, I do. I I, I rarely eat the breakfast for, like, lunch or or dinner. Yeah. I'm a a morning, morning breakfast man.
0: Yeah, except for that late night Waffle House every now and then, right?
1: Once in a very blue moon, yeah. Right,
0: that's right. Um, okay, wait. One more food. One. What's your favorite quarantine snack right now?
1: You know the favorite quarantine snack. There've been been a few, but I'm going to have to say, um, bologna sandwich has been my go-to snack. Um, Classic. I don't fry it. I yeah, that's classic. Put some mustard on there. No mayo. I'm not a mayonnaise guy. Okay. A uh, little mustard on that bologna sandwich, and that has really kept me going.
0: That'll get you through. That's bologna my, do it every time.
1: That's my sushi. You know, bologna is my sushi in the morning table.
0: That sounds like a song. There you go. There's the line. Bologna is my sushi. <laughs> yeah, right. I love it. Okay. Um, one more question and then maybe you'll play another song for us. Um, do you have, I guess, not a favorite song, but m- you know, maybe one of your cuts that's the closest to your heart?
1: Let's see one that's close to my heart. I, I really do. And it's called, she'll go on yet. And it was Josh Turner's first single, even before long black train. He released it. It made it to like forty three or four, um, but I wrote it by myself, and I wrote it. I had that title, and it was one of those uh, clever titles. and twisted about ten different ways, and the first verse was about my little girl who was about to go to kindergarten, and it tore me up inside to think we were gonna. I was gonna give her away to the mean old world. She was going to to preschool, so that was really. She was about the first, the first verse was about letting a little girl go. She'll go on you before you can turn around. The second verse was like how to romance a wife, leave, you know, um, little notes on the refrigerator door. If you don't take care of that, she'll go on you. You know, she'll leave. Uh, And it talked about time. If you don't what you know, take the moments, the time, she'll go on you. Time will go on you. Then it was about mom, and my mom passed away a few years ago. But uh, it was about the mother in the third verse that she'll she'll go on you, yeah, you know, and you better. Uh, it was like a tutorial, I guess, of how to. What I thought was a good way to treat women uh, in your the important women in your life. So that that's a special song, and I wish it's got so many lyrics, and I don't have the lyrics on me out here in my office. Uh, I'm afraid I would mess it up. I'll have to do it on a, I'll do it on one of your jamming and jammies back in Nashville in the fall or winter.
0: That sounds good. That's just brilliant idea. Thanks for sharing.
1: Yeah, but I'll I'll be glad to play another one for you or what, uh, if you like.
0: Anything you want. Anything you want.
1: Okay, I'll do this one here. You, since you mentioned it early. I wrote this song with Adam Dorsey, who's from California, from Los Angeles. We started this at a Chinese buffet in Franklin, believe it or not. And it's one of those songs, we talk about volleying and stuff back and forth. It was one of those three rhymers, what I love, about, like almost like a rat. what I love about Sunday, da-da-da, in a Hyundai, da-da-da, down a one way. I mean, it was like, those three, three rhymes in a row were fun to play with, so we were just tossing all kind of stuff out. The song really wrote itself really easily. We wrote it that afternoon. Craig Morgan recorded it, and he had only had a minor hit, but this was a big hit for him and us, me and Adam, Jody Williams,
2: Sony. In his Sunday best, lay up to his chest in all the Greece. There's a Martin's walking in with that mean little freckle faced kid, broke a window last week. Tied tonight, well you know it's about time. It's 35 cents off of the ground, baby. Cut the coupon out, it's what I love. I
0: love yeah <laughs> thank you oh I just love that song so much thank you so much for being here and talking with us.
1: Great, Megan, as always. And I look forward to, I'm going to, you know, don a pair of pajamas again, I promise you, in the fall or winter when we get back to doing those jamming and jammies again. That's fun.
0: Absolutely. I can't wait. And I appreciate your time. I hope you stay well. And we'll see you soon. It won't be long.
1: Amen. You too, Megan. It's been a a blast and joy.
0: Thank you so much. We'll see you later.
1: All right. Bye-bye.
2: It's showtime, showtime Showtime. Guess who's back again